Well, this morning, as I said, we're continuing in our series, I Am the Instrument. Has anybody been blessed by this series so far, learning about who we are and what we are in Christ, what we were created to do? Last week, we started um, uh, the kind of a, a point of we are all created to do some of the same things. If you weren't here for that message last week, I would encourage you to go back and uh, listen to it. I want to give you a couple verses to kind of catch us back up to where we were last week, and then we'll continue on by looking at some of the things we're all meant to be. Because if we're going to be the instrument of God, well, I want to know what kind of instrument I am. I want to know what, what my role is. You know, the first week in this series, we looked at how we're all in the house of God, not by our works, but by grace, by his love for us that brought us in before we were useful or clean or what we could say maybe the honorable instrument that we were created to be. We were brought in before any of that because he loves us. Those are a couple of the things we looked at in the last messages. Proverbs 19.21 in the New Living Translation says this, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. What this tells us is that we can set plans for our life, but ultimately the Lord's purpose for us that he put in us when we were created is what will prevail. That will be what succeeds in our life because it's what we were created to do. We looked at another verse in, uh, I think it was Romans, was it 11.29 that says that the calling of God is irrevocable. We, we cannot take back the purpose God created us with. When he made us, he made us how we are. And praise God, whether, whether you're happy about that today or not, you are who you are because God made you that. Now we can improve our condition, but we still are the person God made us. Amen. And so this is one of the things we've been looking at through this series. And of course, Titus 3.14, another one we read last week says, let and let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. We said that that word works the, the plurality of it, meaning there are multiple things that we were each created to do. There are some things that I am uniquely created to do that no one else here is. But then you are uniquely created to do some things that no one else here is. We all have things we were uniquely created and called to do, purpose to do by God. But there are also things that because I'm a man or because I'm a woman, because I'm mankind, God's creation... Because I was created and because I now know him and am, and am in relationship with him, I'm created to do some works that we're all created to do. We gave the example of like a, an orchestra, a big symphony, how there may be many different instruments that each play their own individual part, but they all have to read the music. They all have to listen to the conductor or follow his, his cues. They all have to show up and bring their instrument. This is the only way the whole thing works is if everybody shares these light qualities in their uniqueness. And so last week, and then what we're going to get into again this week, is some of the, the shared qualities, the shared purposes and shared callings that we all have. Amen. We need to know what we're all called to do so we can come into unity on that. And then out of that unity, our uniqueness is going to shine and be all that more effective for the kingdom. Because, I mean, just in that example, even of the orchestra, if you imagine just you got this orchestra all doing doing it right. They're all following the conductor. They're playing the music. It sounds beautiful. And then we got this, this one rogue guy over here, like on a saxophone, just giving a solo out of time, out of key, out of music. Kind of messes the whole thing up, doesn't it? Well, we want to bring all of our purposes into line with each other where we're supposed to be in line 
So that none of us are that, that renegade out on our own, soloing out in some way that doesn't make sense. We want to be in unity in the things we're all called to be unified in. Amen. And as we do that, our uniqueness is going to blend into the, the symphony, the beautiful, sweet music that God wants his church to make, that he wants for his kingdom. Today, I want to begin, uh, we've been starting out by looking at kind of the balanced approach. We talk a lot in this series about the good works that we're meant to do, but our life isn't all about works either. Okay, we, we want to bring the balance to know that we're in the house, we are loved, that works aren't the reasons for those. And this week, as I, I thought about, you know, I don't just want to go up and tell them, we need to do this and this and this and this. Okay, because I've, I've sat under that before and it doesn't always help me a lot to hear the do this, do this, do this. We need to, I think, understand the why behind the what. Do you agree with that? I want to know what is the purpose, what is the reason behind me doing good works. I, I think one of the problems when we don't bring that balance in is people feel like church is nothing but a bunch of rules without purpose or, or a bunch of guidelines without reason. And I know my God and he's not a God that does things without reason. He is very much a purposeful, intentional God. And so I want today to look to some of the reason behind the good works. And then we're going to see some more of these things we're supposed to do together. And before I forget to mention where I believe we're going in the next week or two with this series is we're going to start talking about our individual calling. All right, We've now spent a couple weeks on the unified calling that we're all supposed to and called to do together. But I also believe that God has unique things for each one of us. And so I, my, my intention and hope is that next week we begin to talk more about being led into an individual calling. Being, being sensitive to hearing what God would have uniquely for me to do. Is anybody interested in in that. All right. Well, that I believe is where we're going to be headed. So I just want to get your expectations set now. So you, you have an idea of, of what we're going to continue on in the series. Cause you know, I am the instrument. I mean, how many weeks in a row can you talk about instruments really? Right? Well, we'll see how many I can talk about instruments in a row, but, uh, this week we're going to continue on and finish up last week. I, I had last week five or I think it was five points I wanted to get through and we got through two. What we talked about last week was how we are all meant to be carriers of the Holy Spirit and we are all meant to be worshipers. Those are two roles that every one of us as an instrument of God, every one of us as, as a vessel in his house are meant to fulfill. And so this week we're going to go on and, and I'm going to give you a few more of those things that we're all called in likeness to do. But first, I wanted to look at the scripture, Matthew 5, 16, the reason behind the what, the, the why behind the what, the reason behind the good works. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. See your good works and glorify your father in heaven. I believe that the purpose behind our good works, the reason that Christ didn't just take us all up to heaven when we got saved, but left us here to do good works is because he wants our light to shine by men seeing our good works that they would glorify the Father in heaven. God wants to be glorified in the earth and it comes in part through our good works. He wants men to know him, go and preach the gospel, proclaim the word. That's a good work. And without that good work, his purpose doesn't get accomplished. And so um, I guess I'm, I'm giving more right now than I thought I would. I thought I was going to tell a story first, but I guess I'm, I, this is good. We are supposed to be fulfilling a purpose for God. We're not just doing good works because we've got nothing else to do. We're doing good works for a great purpose, for a worthwhile purpose, and it is so that God will be glorified. 
And when, I, when I'm struggling to continue on in a good work to maintain doing what's right, I think, man, I am the image of God to somebody. I, I am communicating God's light to somebody. And so I'm going to keep on in the good work because it's worthwhile. Do you believe that today? That God getting glory is a worthwhile good work. You know, the story I was going to tell that I mentioned a second ago is about uh, how when I went to college, I went to Rama Bible Training College, and I had expected to go for such a long time. I knew for years that I wanted to go into ministry and, and hopefully become a pastor or a preacher. And so I was expecting to go down to Rama, and, and I had grown up hearing all about it. I, I had heard, you know, what it was like in the 80s or, or in the 90s more so when my family had been down there. And so I had all this expectation of what Rama was going to be like. And I went down and, you know, I'd heard about all these amazing people that were down there and all these people that were just there to seek after God and hear his word and, and get this depth and study under uh, Kenneth Hagin, who, who God had used as a prophet during that time. And so I go down with this expectation. And I mean, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was that newness. I get there and I'm just in awe. I think, oh, this is so incredible. I'm, I'm here. I've made it. I'm at Rhema. This is the place where God is going to speak to me and change my life. And praise God, he did all that while I was down there. And I get there and, and we're at orientation and I have all these people coming around and talking to me. And, and I'm just, I mean, I'm like overflowing with this excitement about these next few years of my life and what, what I'm expecting to have happen while I'm there. And I start talking to other people and I say, hey, where are you from? And there's people from the East Coast and, you know, down in the South. And there's people from out on the West Coast. And there's like a guy from Nepal over in, in the Asia region. There's guys from Africa and from Europe. I mean, people from everywhere coming for different reasons. And I start asking about that. I say, so, so you know, what, what did God bring you here for? Because to me, that's the question. Like, what has God brought me here for? So I start asking people, you know, why, why are you here? Why have you come to Rhema? What are you expecting here? And I was shocked because, well, on one hand, there were many people like me that had come with this great expectation and expected to get a depth and knowledge of the word and grow and prepare for ministry and praise the Lord. But I talked to some other people and I said, why are you here? And they go, well, I didn't really have anything better to do. Or I'd hear, well, I couldn't get into a D2 school, so I came to play basketball here. Or I'd hear, well, there's a reputation at Bible colleges that if you go, you find a spouse. And so I'm here to, to get married. And I'm like, what? That's a terrible why. And what I came to realize is I can be in the right place with the wrong reason. I can be doing the right thing, but have the wrong reason. And if that's the case, I'm going to miss out on what God wanted me to gain from it. On the purpose that God had. Because let me tell you, if, you're, if you go to Bible college and all you're doing is looking for a spouse, you are not going to get everything that God has intended for you. I mean, I, I went with the right purposes. And there were still days where I was like, hey, come on, Isaac, you got to focus. Yeah, I know, I know you worked late last night, but we're in class to hear the word, to study the word, to gain understanding and, and wisdom from God today. So let's focus in and, and get the reason right. And I think sometimes in life we can do the same thing where I go through the motions, I do the right thing, but my reason in doing it, 
maybe is not correct. I think this is something we've seen in this teaching of good works. Probably not here, but, but in church as a whole, in Christianity as a whole, I think this is something that's been misrepresented before that people say, you got to do good works for this reason, but the reason isn't right. I wrote down a few of those that I, I can identify as being wrong reasons that either I've done or seen other people do for good works. Some of them are to prove myself. Have you ever done a good work just because you wanted to prove it? Prove that you could, prove I will. I've done that before. I'm doing good works to prove something. I'm doing good works to earn God's love. Ooh, that's the wrong reason. If you were with us last week, we looked at how God loved us first before we ever did anything good. And so I, I can't possibly, my reason should not be I'm doing good works because I got to earn something from God. I can't earn what God gives me. Amen. And so my good works, they're, they're not about earning something from him. I think another one, and, and this actually I think goes outside even of the church and outside of Christianity. I think people do good works to feel good about themselves. And I'm guilty of that one too. I've done good works because I want to feel good. Oh, I, I gave to somebody. Oh, I gave that. I went and got that homeless person something to eat today. Or, or maybe it's something else. Maybe I helped someone out. I mean, that's all good. Praise God for good work. But if my reason is about I want to feel good, then I'm doing it wrong. I have the wrong reason. Because as we read Matthew 5, 16, our reason in doing good works is to bring glory to God. And, and what I offer for you today is that's it. That's the whole reason behind good works is to glorify God. Everything beyond that is noise. Glorifying God is the purpose for our good works. Amen. Do you believe that today? That there is no greater purpose, no greater reason for doing good works than to glorify Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so this morning as we set out and look into some more of these good works, I want us to keep this in mind. That I do these not, not for my own purpose, not because I've been pressured, not because Pastor Isaac told me I have to. I do good works because I want to glorify Jesus. And that's the reason behind my what? That's the reason behind the good works is to glorify God. And I think Galatians 6, 9, before we get into these things we're all supposed to be doing as good works, this sheds some light too. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Well, that's a great encouragement. Don't grow weary. Don't quit. And let me tell you this. When your reason for doing good works that maybe are making you weary when your reason for doing them is I want to bring glory to God, it becomes a whole lot easier to endure. When I know that I'm not doing this for myself, but I'm doing it for God, it becomes a whole lot easier to keep doing it. Because when I get tired, what I can do is I can start balancing out. You know, well, yeah, it'd be nice to do this because it would, it would give me this or make me feel like this, but it's just so hard right now. To me, it's not worth it. But when we have this other mindset and we have this other purpose and reason behind our good works where I'm doing these because I want to bring glory to God, I want to glorify God, well, now I don't care how hard it is, getting God glory is my top priority. I'll be tired if I need to be tired. You know, I'll, I'll pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give me guidance, leading, uh, leading peace, comfort. I, I will ask God for his help through this. But I'm going to keep doing it because the purpose is greater than me. And I think that's what we see when we come to decide that glorifying God is the purpose of our works. Is the purpose and the reason is so much greater than me. 
And so it makes me much more willing to give of myself for that greater purpose of the kingdom. Amen? Do you agree with that? Let's move on now and talk about some of the things we're all meant to be. I told you again last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. We're all meant to carry the Holy Spirit and we're all meant to be worshipers of God. These are two good works that we're all supposed to have as a part of our role as an instrument or a vessel in the house of God. The next, uh, the next role, the next characteristic, the next part, uh, our part as an instrument that I want to mention today is to be an instrument of righteousness. Now, we've talked a lot about righteousness so far in this series, and so I don't want to cover ground that we've already discussed, um, but we are supposed to be an instrument of righteousness. Now, we said 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we've already been made righteous. And we talked in the first week of this series about how now what I do, now that I am righteous and I'm in the house, is I have to become aware of my righteousness. And we talked about 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, how there are steps, things that we do in, in conjunction with one another that help us to become aware of our righteousness. As we become aware of that righteousness, we become more effective is what we saw there in 2 Peter. And I encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and listen to that. And so we become aware of our righteousness we are righteousness and we begin to live that out, but we're also supposed to be an instrument that brings righteousness into the world. We could say a, a carrier, again, like we did last week with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to carry righteousness into the world and expose the world to real righteousness. I believe this. We are supposed to expose the world to real righteousness. I think the process with righteousness is this. We've become We've become righteous through Jesus' blood when we are saved. That's step one, okay? And there, all we do with that is receive what Jesus has already done for us. Okay, so we, we become righteous based on what Jesus has done. And then we become aware of our righteousness, like we talked about in week one in, in 2 Peter. And as we become aware of it, we begin to live it out. And then I believe the third part in this process is we are an instrument that exposes the world. To real righteousness. And so there is a development process where first Christ makes me righteous. The only thing I have to do with that is I receive it. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. He changes me because of what he purchased on the cross. Okay, and that's it for step one. Step two, I become aware of righteousness. And this is what we talked about in week one. Hallelujah. I become more effective. I become ready for more honorable works. And then step three, I take that in. I take that manifest righteousness in my life into the world and expose people to what real righteousness looks like. And I want to share this scripture with you, 1 John 2, 29. I want to tell you there is a difference between real righteousness and good people. There's a big difference between real righteousness and good people or nice people. You know, there's a lot of good and nice people that are going to hell because they're not righteous. Real righteousness is different than being a good person. And the world needs to see that. 1 John 2.29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Those who practice righteousness are born of him. And what that tells me is that righteousness is a quality of Christ. And that it's only those who have been born again in him that can really be righteous. I think people are, are, are so confused about righteousness and, and just equate it to being good or equate it to being nice that it started to blend. And I think that's where the idea of, well, if you're just a good person, you'll go to heaven one day. It's not what the Bible says. 
Bible says that he is the way. Good works and being a nice person is great if it's being done to the glory of God, but it's not your ticket to heaven. Real righteousness in Jesus Christ is the only way that we go to heaven. It's two different things, being good and being righteous. Being righteous changes you. Being righteous, it doesn't mean that you're automatically perfect right away, but it means that God begins to change and influence you over time. That, that his life on the inside of you begins to change who you are. That's something that being good doesn't, good doesn't change. I mean, I, I know people that are, they're great people, they're nice people, and they've been that way the whole time I've known them. It's, it's just their disposition, it's just how they interact with people. But there's no change there, there's no growth there. I think one of the things with righteousness is it is continuing to sanctify. It, it's continuing to, to make me that honorable instrument we talked about in week one. Righteousness is a continual process, not an end in, in, in itself. As long as we're on earth, we're going to be being um, manifest in our righteousness. We are made fully righteous on the inside when we receive Jesus. Okay, I want to make sure this is clear. We are totally righteous when Jesus comes into our heart, spiritually. But we have to start living what has spiritually changed on the outside. And as long as we're on earth, we're going to have flesh that we're going to have to bring into line with the righteousness we have in the spirit. Okay, if, if I have a moment where my flesh isn't acting righteous because I've chosen to go and let that lead me rather than let my spirit lead me, that doesn't mean I've lost my salvation because my spirit's still righteous. My spirit's still alive. And that's the continual process. It's not that I need to earn the righteousness of God, but it's rather I, I need to now live out in the flesh what has changed in my spirit. That's the process of becoming righteous, becoming aware of righteousness and letting it manifest in our life. Proverbs 13, verse 9, I think, kind of gives us an idea of what this instrument looks like. It says, the lamp of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. And so I kind of thought, as an, as an illustration, as a picture of what kind of tool we are with our righteousness, what kind of instrument we are with righteousness, we're kind of like a flashlight. Kind of like a flashlight. It says that the light of the righteous shines brightly, rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. Righteousness, Christ in me, changing me and making me alive, is the light that the world sees. And you know, I was thinking about this this morning while I was getting ready. I should have brought it in. I've got this headlamp. I take it when I'm doing stuff at night outside, and, and I've got this headlamp I'll, I'll wear, and it shines, and you know, it's really bright. And I was just thinking this morning, you know, what if I left that light on, but I covered it up with a hat? I thought, that hat's kind of like my flesh. When I let my flesh overpower my spirit, because my, my spirit's righteous, my spirit is full of light, but if I've got this hat of, of flesh on, you're not going to see the light or not see it as clearly. And so what I see is that as we become more manifest righteous, like it, it's shown in our life, we live what's already done on the inside, it's like taking that hat off. The more I live like I'm really changed on the inside, the more aware of that I become, like we read about in 2 Peter, it's like peeling that hat back. And now I'm a light shining bright in the world. That's a good instrument to be. Amen. Exposing the darkness in the world and shining a bright light of hope into it 
Hallelujah. I want that job. Don't you want that job? Well, you've got it. <laughs> Let's move um, on now. Well, I want to make one more comment about that. I think this is important. Acts 10, 15. One more scripture on righteousness. It says, and a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was being written about foods, but I believe it's applicable for us. What God has cleansed, made righteous, you must not call common. Don't cheapen or discount your righteousness. Don't cheapen or discount the change God has done on the inside of you. Don't, don't say, I'm just like the rest of the world. You know what? We are different from the world. Yes, we, are. we are different. And, and I, I didn't want to say this because it, it, like it sounds bad. We are better than the world in the sense that Jesus Christ has changed us. The only thing about me that's better is Jesus in me, his righteousness in me. But it is better. And I'm not going to cheapen that so nice people feel good. There's something in me that's better. And I want you to have it. Come on, step up, community. Come and get what I've got. It's not something that you can't have. You just got to make a decision for Jesus Christ. So don't cheapen your righteousness. Be the light and let it shine. Amen. Let's move on to our next quality, our next good work that we're all meant to do. It is discernment. We are supposed to be an instrument of discernment. And if we want to put the picture up, I found a a tool, an instrument that I think this is kind of like. Anybody ever seen one of these before? Maybe not. It's an electricity detector. Okay, if you're if you're doing electric work, this is the thing you hold up to the wire to make sure there's no electricity in it before you go grabbing it. Now, let me tell you, if you've ever done electric work, you are thankful for this thing. You are praise God that we have electricity detectors, because if you've ever been shocked, it does not feel good. It doesn't feel good at all. And this thing is a tool that is meant to protect the person that's doing work with these dangerous things. Let's read a verse about discernment. Philippians 1, verse 9 through 11, it says this, And this I pray, this is Paul writing to the Philippians, This I pray that your love may abound still more in knowledge and in all discernment. And this is, this is what discernment does. It says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, and to the glory and praise of God. Knowledge and discernment have a result. If I sum it up, it's approving the things that are excellent, being sincere, and avoiding offense. That sounds like a pretty good way to live. Don't you think? Avoiding offense, being sincere, and approving what's excellent? I want to know what's excellent. I want to know how to stay away from offense. I I want to be able to determine what's authentic and real and sincere and what's fake. If we've ever lived in a a time where we need to know what is fake and what's real, it's now. I mean, we're exposed to more fake stuff today than ever before. And so we need discernment. This is how we approve what we know what's real. We know what's excellent. We know what's sincere. And we know how to stay out of offense. I like the way that Amplified, the Amplified translation puts verse 10. And so if we have that, we'll put it up. Otherwise, I'll just read it. It says, so that you... Uh, You may surely learn to sense what is vital, what's important, 
and to prove and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and best. That sounds like the kingdom of God, doesn't it? That I would know what is the best, the most excellent, and distinguishing the moral difference. That's important too. We ought to be able to distinguish, discern, tell the difference between good moral and bad moral. And that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied you may approach the day of Christ, not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. This sounds like a good way to live. This sounds like a way of life where I avoid a lot of trouble. I avoid a lot of shocks. Again, if you've ever worked with that, you want to avoid the shocks. Well, there are spiritual shocks that we can avoid if we use this discernment that Christ wants us to use. Discernment is something that I, I believe we increase in it. This skill of discernment, which is one we're all supposed to have, I believe it increases as we become righteous, as we, as we come to a knowledge of the Word, we get the Word in us, we're going to be more discerning because the Word we're going to see here in a second is a tool of discernment. The Holy Spirit will absolutely lead us in discernment, help us know what is right and what is not, will guide us in these, these matters of discerning. I want to give you three areas that we are supposed to discern. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know him, because they are spiritually discerned. We ought to be people that can discern spiritual things. We ought to be able to discern spiritual things. I believe what that means is I ought to know when somebody starts talking about spiritual things, if it's of God or if it is not of God. And, and he says that, um, how does he put it? The natural man does not receive things of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is moving, it shouldn't look like craziness or foolishness to us. We ought to understand that this is of God. And this is what he's writing to the Corinthians. He says there are people, they just they don't receive it, they don't get it, and it be, it's because they're not spiritually discerning. They're, they're too naturally minded. But because our spirits have been made alive to God, we should be able to see when it is the Spirit of God moving. Amen? Another thing we ought to discern in Hebrews 5 verse 14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We ought to be able to discern both good and evil. And I think it's interesting too here that, you know, even as we grow in righteousness, we grow in discernment. It says that those who by reason of use, they've used discernment over time, they have exercised the ability to discern good and evil. That means the more you discern what's right and what's not, the easier it's going to be to discern what's right and what's not. You know, when you first become a Christian, I mean, if you can remember back to that time, maybe it was really long ago, maybe it wasn't. Either way is fine, but if you can remember back to that, you might recognize that right at the first, it was kind of hard to determine what was good and what was bad. I mean, maybe there were some things like you just knew right away, but it might have been difficult right in that first moment to know, okay, well, this is, this is clearly good, and okay, well, that's not good. As we grow in discernment, as we spend more of our life as a Christian discerning, we're going to recognize good and evil quick. And this is part of our role. You know, we live, in a, we live in a world that needs discerners. 
We live in a world that needs people to call evil evil and good good. We need to be that electricity tester that says, nope, no power here. Nope, nothing good here. Or say, yes, this is good. This is of God. Let's look at one more area that we're supposed to discern. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, or we could say discern, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Romans 12, verse 2. We ought to be able to discern the will of God. It comes by the renewing of our mind is what the word says. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Renew your mind to the spirit that you may discern. We, like if we sub that word in and we say, let's discern what is the good and, and perfect and acceptable will of God. I got those in the wrong order, but we can determine the will of God through discernment. And this is one of the qualities, one of the characteristics that God wants for all of us. You know, I spent, I spent a number of years when I was a lot younger um, waiting for someone to discern for me. And I remember this. I was actually thinking about it just the other day. Um, I went to summer camp like every year. And I always knew that, that I felt called to be a minister, but I wanted to hear it from someone else. I, I wanted to come up to the front at church camp and have the pastor like lay hands on me. And I wanted to, you know, go out on the floor. And, and I wanted the, the prophetic word from God, this you are called to be the minister of such and such place. I, like, I wanted that. I didn't want to have to discern for myself what the will of God was for my life. But as I read Romans 12, verse 2, I believe God wants us to be discerning of his will for us. Do you see that as well? It, it doesn't all, sometimes it will come from someone else. Sometimes it'll come as a gift of the Spirit, a word. But I believe most of the time, God wants you to be discerning. He, he wants you to hear from Him. And because you are spiritually alive, recognize that this is of God. But that comes through use of discernment. The more you discern, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Amen? So we want to be discerners. Let's go on and, and we'll get through these next two. We'll do it, I promise. The next thing we are meant to be is a carrier of the word. Colossians 3.16 is where I'd like us to go next. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord. It starts out with a pretty clear command. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We ought to have the word of Christ dwelling in us. I think Psalm 40, verse 8, if we read another scripture that goes along this same line, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Your word is in me. And once again, I think this speaks to discernment. I think discernment, being an instrument of discernment and being a carrier of the word go hand in hand. When I've got the word in me, it becomes easy to discern because I've, I've got his law written in my heart. I have his word on the inside of me. And so it's easier to do his will. I think it's so interesting that it says, I delight to do your will, God, and your laws in my heart. It gets easy to do his will when his word is in you. So we ought to carry his word so we can do his will and so we can know his will. If we look at Ephesians 6 verse 17, it speaks to um, what kind of instrument the word is. And we can put the picture up too. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word is a sword. 
and we are the sheath. The word's the sword, we're the sheath. The thing the sword slides into. I wanted to bring a sword in today, but I thought Steve Pope, head of security, might tackle me or something when I came through, so I didn't bring the sword in. All right? Maybe next time. Okay? <laughs> so I left the sword at home. But the sword, that thing that can discern and, can, and, and really can cut through, divide, that's the word of God, but I carry it. I'm the sheath. You know, this is not supposed to be the only, this leather around my Bible is not supposed to be the only sheath that carries the word around the world. You and me are supposed to be the sheath. We are supposed to have the word contained on the inside of us. And so at any moment, while I'm, because maybe you can't just like carry your Bible everywhere you go. I mean, I know with phones now, it's a little bit easier because you might have an app where the Bible's on it. It becomes a little easier to like carry the, the reference of the Bible. But when you have the word in you, you can pull it right out. Amen. Oh, here's a situation. What, what am I supposed to do? I need to discern. Well, I've got the word in me, so I'll just I'll pull the word out in this situation. I'll seek understanding. I'll seek truth based on the word that's on the inside of me. It's so important, so vital that we carry the word with us. John 6, 63 emphasizes the importance of being a carrier of the word. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus is saying, my word is spirit and life. Talk about effectiveness. Spirit and life. His word is what brings life. And so if I carry his word with me, I'm carrying life with me. I mean, I, th I think even this morning, you know, as, as we began service, we had this time where, where we emphasized the life that we have in Christ. If there was doubt or fear, well, we took our sword out and cut it down. Amen. With the life that we have in Christ, with his word, as we carry his word, we are effective because at any moment we're able to discern and we're able to bring life to a situation through his word. Philippians 2.16, one more verse on this and then we'll move on to the last point for today. It says, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. The word makes my work effective. The word makes every good work that I do effective. It says, if I hold on to the word of life, that is the word of Christ, I can rejoice in that last day because I have not run in vain. I have not worked in vain. My good works brought God glory because they were done with a firm grasp on the word of God. I got to be an instrument that carries the word everywhere I go. Do you agree with that? Yeah. We carriers, we are carriers of the word. And then Romans 10, 17 transitions us here into our final point of, of this morning. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God and our faith are linked together. And the final, um, the final instrument that I think we are all supposed to be, the final good work that I believe we were all created to do, is to be an instrument of hope and faith. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's talk for just a few minutes today about hope and faith. The tool I would liken this to is a shield or an anchor. We know that, that uh, faith is, is called our shield in Ephesians 6. And hope, oh look, Sean, you got a shield and an anchor all in one. That's impressive. Good job, Sean. Shield and anchor. And hope, in another verse that we'll read, 
is called an anchor for our soul. We need hope and faith both. It's, it's a, a defense. It's a defensive aspect of what we as God's instruments are supposed to do. Hebrews 11 verse 1 and the Amplified is what I would like us to read. But before I do that, let me give you a definition of hope. Because I think hope is something that, you can leave that up, it's fine. Hope is something that I think sometimes we, we get the wrong idea of what hope really is. This definition of hope is the feeling of expectation and desire of a certain thing to happen. I've had conversations with people where I, we talk about hope and it's like, well, hope is just so uncertain. I think that's, that's maybe the view of hope. And, and as I read this, that's not what I get. As I see hope, a feeling of expectation and desire. Well, if I'm expecting something, then I'm not doubting it. I believe that the way hope relates to faith is not, not one of, you know, well, hope it happens. Maybe, it's not a maybe. It's an expectancy. Hope isn't a maybe. It's an expectation. And I think we've gotten that wrong. And maybe that's because people have put their hope in something that isn't of God and they've been let down before. But when we put our hope and faith in Christ, we will not be let down because he never fails. And so hope is an expectation and desire to see a certain thing happen. And so with that understanding, we can read Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation of the things we hoped for. Faith is the confirmation of the things I expected and desired to see happen. That, that like, boom, that blows it wide open, doesn't it? It's different when I read, it, and it's not. Faith is, the th faith is the confirmation of the thing I hoped, you know, I, I thought maybe it could happen. No, I had an expectation. I had a desire to see this happen. And because my God is faithful and I put my trust in him, it's happened. I've got the assurance of it in Christ. And the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. I have the expectation. I have the confirmation. And I know it's done. I mean, this, is, this, this would kind of be like, you ever ordered something online? You ever, anybody ever used Amazon? or a different subscription service like that. I like Amazon. I've ordered stuff off of there before, and I get the confirmation email. Have you ever gotten that? A confirmation email? Your order is on the way. I have an expectation and a desire that in a couple days I'm gonna be picking up a package on my front door. And it's kinda of different than thinking, maybe it'll show up. It's different. My hope that this package is coming is different than, I don't know, we'll see if it, if it comes. We'll see. Well, hope in Christ, who has never let me down before, I don't, it's not a maybe. It's not a wondering of maybe this will happen or maybe it won't. If he's never failed me, then I have no reason to believe that it's not going to come through. I have no reason to believe my expectation won't be met when I put my hope in Christ. When I put my hope in Christ, I can have faith, which is the confirmation, the assurance, the knowing that it's done, that that package has been shipped out and it's headed my way. Maybe I haven't held it in my hands yet, but I already own it. That's what that confirmation email is all about. I got the email. Now it's mine. I'm just waiting to pick it up. 
With faith, it's the same thing. I've hoped for something. I've prayed about it. I have faith, confidence, assurance, confirmation that Christ has done it for me. And now I'm just waiting to pick it up. I'm just waiting to receive. I don't doubt that it's coming. I'm just waiting to receive it. Amen. And because Christ doesn't let me down, I have no reason to doubt that my expectation will be met. That my faith is in the right place. Amen. You know, I believe that when it comes to faith, this was something we actually, we, we just talked about the other, like a, a week ago on our Saturday morning men's group. If you don't come to those groups, I would encourage you to do so. They, they are an awesome time of discussion and, and growth together as men and women. So if you don't come, just encourage you, come to one. I think you'll, you'll be blessed and you'll like it. We were talking about this just the other morning at that group, how fear and faith don't mix together. Fear and faith are, are the complete opposites of the same action of belief. Faith is, is a confirmation of believing in Christ's ability and the positive things to happen. Fear is the exact opposite. It is an expectation and a belief that the worst thing's going to happen. You can't have both. You can't be in faith and in fear at the same time because faith trusts God and fear is totally lacking trust in God. Faith and fear don't mix together. Of course, we read 2 Timothy 1.7 earlier this morning that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. We have a different spirit. And as we become aware of our righteousness, that spirit is going to enable us to be full of faith and cast out all fear. Knowing Christ loves us, and has changed us and has provided for us, does away with fear and puts our hope completely in faith. Amen? You know, I believe that we are supposed to be instruments of faith and hope for the world. A note on hope, Hebrews 6, 19, it says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Hope. In Christ, expectation in Christ is an anchor, a steadying tool for our soul. I think one of the first places we see fear show up or a lack of hope show up is in our soul. In, in what we think, in what we speak, in what we post. Fear shows up in the soul before we start acting on it. And so I have to get my soul under control. And hope is the anchor that steadies, brings my soul under control. It's really easy for our soul to, to get blown around if we don't have hope in Christ to anchor us down, to keep us steady in the, in the chaotic times. I mean, I'm not like a reactive preacher. I'm not, I'm not going to like preach a message just because something's going on. But I think what we see happening in the world right now is a great picture of this. We get bad news and people's souls go crazy. People's minds, and I'm not saying that there's like nothing that, that we need to stand against, but we can do that in prayer just like we did this morning. We can trust the word of God. What I'm saying is like, if my faith goes away from Christ and I, all I can think about and all I can talk about is the worst thing that could possibly happen, is that faith? The world needs someone to steady things up. 
And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the anchor that steadies among the storm. Our hope that's in Christ should, should shine that light to the world brighter than it ever has. When we come to moments like today, where the world is, is scared and fearful and it looks dark out there, our light ought to shine all the brighter as we put our hope in Jesus and we are confident. Amen. We're in faith. You know, maybe you're in a conversation or, or you're talking to someone and, and they just are scared. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, this, oh, that. What a great opportunity to share about the gospel. Share, well, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I know that there's, there's potential for some bad things to happen, but I'm secure, I'm confident, I have trust in Jesus. How can you be like that? Why aren't you, why aren't you scared? Why aren't you concerned? Because I have hope in Christ. And you can have it too. I believe this is one of the ways that the gospel gets out. That, look, we got bad news. Well, I have good news. If there's bad news out there, I've got good news right here. And the good news is hope. The good news brings hope to people that don't have it. And so, you know, people look at, at moments like today and, and the COVID-19 thing, and, and they just see what a, what a terrible situation. I see an opportunity for God to be glorified through my good works. That's it. And as, as I preached even this morning, Matthew 5, if we want to put that back up, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. My good work today is hope. My good work today is faith. My good work today is discerning. My good work today is carrying the word into the world. My good work today is being a righteous member of the body of Christ. Not only in spirit, but I want to live it out so that my light is totally uncovered and people can see Jesus in me. Amen. Amen. Do you agree with that today? Yeah. All right, well, I just, I want us to wrap up in prayer and let's thank God this morning that we are instruments. We are being used by him so that he gets glory. Isn't that great news? We have a part in God getting glory. That excites me. Man, that'll wake me up in the morning. I'm feeling sleepy. Oh, I get to go and get God some glory today. I'm not just working for me today. I'm working to bring God glory. That's a worthwhile purpose. That's a worthwhile reason. And so I will be God's instrument so that he is glorified. Would you pray and thank him with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you that you have made us instruments. You have redeemed us. You have made us righteous in our spirit, Lord. And we desire not only to be people who are becoming more aware of our righteousness and letting it manifest on the outside of our lives each day, but Lord, I pray that we would also be instruments of righteousness into the world, that we carry that different kind, that different kind, the real kind of righteousness out to the world. But there's something different. It's not just a good person or a nice person. This is a person who has been touched and changed by Jesus Christ. God in us. God, you are in us. And as we receive you in us, you change us in a way we could never change ourselves. The righteousness that you have made us and are manifesting in us as we become aware of it, Lord, is so different than any other kind of good that exists in the world. It goes so far beyond, Lord, what a man or a woman on their own is capable of. And we thank you, Lord, that you are doing that righteousness, that righteous work in us. 
Lord, we thank you too that you've called us to be instruments in like company with one another. God, I pray that as we see ourselves, your unified body, the whole church, as a people, as instruments in your house, Lord, for your purposes, I pray that we would strengthen each other and encourage each other and remind each other of what the good works that you've called us to do are. Help us to be mindful of them and to complete them, Lord. Give us the grace and strength as you do to complete these good works, Lord. I thank you that as we cooperate with you, we are capable of bringing you glory. Hallelujah, Lord. I pray that as we do these good works, as we are instruments for your kingdom, you would be glorified. That that is the reason, the purpose that I set out to do good works for you each day. That you would be glorified, Lord. I know it's not something that I, I'm earning salvation or, or, or any good thing. God, you have provided it as a gift because you are a good God. And so we don't do good works to earn something from you, but we do good works to glorify you because we love you, Jesus. We love you, God. We love you. And so we pray today as we go, we would be the instruments. We would be workers of good for your kingdom. And we pray that you would be glorified because of it, Lord. We go in security and confidence and in hope. In hope, knowing that whatever is going on in the world, we have security in you. We have security in what Christ bought on the cross 2,000 years ago. It has not changed. It will not change. And because of that, I have hope and confidence in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody who agrees with that said amen. Amen. Well, go and be confident. Go and be hope. Go and be righteousness. Go and be the light and bring God glory. Amen. Be blessed. You are dismissed.